Listen up, please. Grab on Moses and sick in bed. Have you ever wondered what makes us different from other animals? What makes us different from even our closest living relatives, chimps and other primates? Testing, one, two, three. So, could you tell me uh, what makes us human? Oh, gosh, what a question. Uh, well, it, it means you have a big brain and you think a lot and, you, you know, you have the ability to think about the future and the past and and I think what separates us from the common ape is that we're able to talk um, articulately. Well I would say that would be our ability for cognizant thought, higher thinking, so to speak kind of our sentience and free will, what allows us to think abstractly. Our ability for metacognition and things like our ability to recognize our own mortality. I'd say what makes us human is the capacity to choose and change who we are as people. Um, the capacity for us to evolve like in our daily lives is something that I think really defines what it means to be human. Our drive to explore. Hey, what's up in space? I want to go up there. Our Curiosity, I would probably have to say, is what really makes us human. What do you think it means to be human? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. That's Tracy Cavell, a professor of biological anthropology at the University of Kent, whose research focuses on how the shape of bone affects its function. Biological anthropology is a field that studies human evolution and what fossils can tell us about the anatomy and biology of human ancestors. It's the, it's the cognitive abilities. It's that, uh, it's that reflection upon ourselves and I think the ability to build on what others have done and to learn and... Oh, it's, a tr it's a tricky question now because every sort of thing I think about, I think, well, no, I think, chim you know, I think chimps and bonobos can do that or I think gorillas can do it. So it's, I think there's fewer and fewer things that we sort of that we can sort of see as uniquely or distinctly human um, the more we learn about about other primates. Well, right now it's probably our, our carelessness <laughs> with regards to the planet. Maybe that's the only thing that makes us unique. <laughs> Oof, that's dark. Yeah, well, that's a subject for a different podcast. All right, we asked a lot of people, what makes humans human? And while no two answers were the same, what everyone seems to agree upon is that our brains are special. The human brain is about three times the size of the chimp brain. And that's a big deal because the brain requires a lot of calories. When we were researching for this episode, I was surprised to learn that even though the brain is roughly 2% of the human body's weight, it actually consumes more like 20% of our daily calories. So does that mean we need more calories than chimps? Not necessarily. Ages ago, as a master's student, I undertook an investigation of the expensive tissue hypothesis. 
This hypothesis states that within the animal kingdom, in order to evolve a bigger brain without needing to consume more calories, the size of another tissue with high energy requirements, typically the gut, must be reduced. It has been suggested that one way to make this trade-off is to eat foods that are high in calories and easy to digest. Marrow, like like meat, is 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 a is beneficial because it's it's high in calories, it's easily digestible, and it has protein and, and things like fatty acids um, that are that are really beneficial, particularly for for things like growing our brains. Are do you know offer offer those benefits and and have been critical sort of components of ideas of why uh, our brains and why and how our brains were able to to get to get bigger throughout human evolution is is adding in that extra sort of fat and protein potentially into our diet. That makes perfect sense. Plants are more difficult to digest and have fewer calories. So yeah, meat is an efficient way to get the calories our brains needs to grow and function which would have been important to our ancestors. Long live the carnivores. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, my fellow vegans and vegetarians. Because of modern agriculture, we are able to get sufficient calories to grow our brains. Thanks for that PSA. We modern humans do have the luxury of selective diets, but our ancestors did benefit from carnivory, and we know this from fossil evidence of rocks and bones. There are distinctive ways in which, um, you know, taking a rock and and hitting bone on purpose creates a creates a particular um, indentation on the bone, very clear percussive marks, and that those distinctive sort of marks on the bone are different from what you would see if it's just the regular sort of taphonomic processes, which is, you know, as the bone, as a carcass is lying there and other animals come and trample on it or it rolls or gets washed down a hill. Those are those are different types of marks than the than the purposeful sort of hitting with the with the stone tools. The ability to make and use stone tools was an important milestone for human evolution. When you see someone, you know, making a stone tool, it does look relatively simple, like someone just taking two rocks and banging them together. It takes years of 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 experience and and and, and training in order to do it. It's the the foresight and the planning needed to to figure out. Well, if I, you know, if I hit this rock in exactly this place, it will break in the way that I want it to. So there's a lot more, I think, to making stone tools as, as well as bone tools as well, you know, that re- in terms of the complexity of the, of the cognitive abilities and, and in terms of the manipulation as well, I would say. By manipulation, she means the ability to carefully handle the rocks with our hands and move them around. Dexterity is key. Yes, we definitely make every participant wear wear um, protective eyeglasses because there are there are flakes of, of bone that are that are sort of shooting off, um, and protective um, gloves on their on their hands because the the edges can be extremely extremely sharp, um, and and then so someone who's an, an expert napper, for example, will also typically put a piece of hide or like leather on their leg. 
as well so that you're balancing sometimes the core which is the the piece of rock that you're making the tool out of that they'll balance that on their leg and then and then hit so um there's quite a bit uh involved (laughs) involved in it but especially from a safety precautions kind of side so i guess our our ancestors were not using um what we call ppe that um personalized protective equipment yeah, okay. <laughs> no, probably not. If you think about it, this is sort of meta because we learn to make stone tools by using our own inborn tools, our hands. Certainly when it comes to um, the hand and, and why we think the, you know, the human hand looks the way it does today uh, is we often think about that in terms of, of the selective pressure for, for using tools. We wanted to know more about hand anatomy, so we talked to Aaron Williams-Hatala, a professor of biology at Chatham University. Her research specializes on understanding variation in the anatomy of primate arms and hands. I do a lot of my work in um, cadaver labs In what now. labs? Cadaver, cadaver labs. labs. Yeah, see, that's a great place for it. <laughs> yes, yes. So actually, there, there are a lot of funny things that occur. Um, I used to, one of my colleagues, uh, Curran Raby, used to be at Duke. And so two or three times a semester, I would go down to Duke and we would like cloister ourselves in their basement dungeon anatomy lab and just spend 48 hours dissecting every hand we could find. And then you have to get, then you have to get the soft tissue and the hard tissue from Duke up to my lab here in Pittsburgh. And so we discovered that you can send human remains through the U.S. Postal Service. That's good and to know. It, it is good to know. <laughs> so I walked into our office one day, our, our, um, my department's office, and saw a package from Corinne with, um, that I knew had 23 human fingers in them. It was sitting next to um, a plate of muffins because... <laughs> They hadn't realized what was in the package. Wow, I can only imagine what postal workers have to deal with on hot days. But moving on, based on these dissections you were involved in, what are the key features of the human hand? So I think the first place anybody would start, and anyone who thinks about hands would start, is the thumb. Um, We have a really long thumb relative to the length of our um, four uh, other digits or other fingers. Um, and our thumb is very large. It's, it's, we say it's robust. So it's, it's not only long, but it's wide and it has, um, large joint surfaces. So that, and, and that's different than the way in which, um, chimpanzee fingers grow. In comparison, chimps have short, thin thumbs and really long fingers. So it's difficult for them to cup their hands or touch the pad of their thumb to the pads of their other fingers. Like when you pinch something. This is what is referred to as an opposable thumb. But your thumb is just so important. I was in a car accident um, about 11 years ago. And after the car accident, I had occasion to like look at what type of insurance I had. And I realized that I had um, dismemberment insurance. Um, And, and, I found that I got four times as much for losing a thumb as I did for losing a finger. We also have a ton 
of really beautiful muscles that control our thumb. I, I should know this number right off the top of my head, but I don't. I think we have nine muscles that just move our thumb. Um, and one of them that has received a lot of attention is a muscle called flexor pollicis longus. And it's a, it's a huge muscle that the only thing it does is flexes the last uh, part of your thumb, the last phalanx on your thumb. That's all it does. A phalanx, or the phalanges, are bones in your hands and feet. Humans have 14 phalanges in each hand. We say it, it, one of the unique things about our flexor pollicis longus muscle is that it's completely independent from the muscles that flex our other digits. It has no relationship, completely independent. So you can flex your thumb, you can move your thumb in all sorts of ways and not, not move your other fingers. Um, but when other primates move their fingers, they have to move their thumb as well to some degree. So they don't have this independence of manipulative motion. To illustrate the importance of the thumb, we enlisted the help of students at the Somerville String Fest at JFK Middle School in Somerville, Massachusetts. The Somerville String Fest is a summer camp for students learning to play stringed instruments. Students are ages seven to retired. Ralph is an excellent viola player and has been volunteering as a teacher for the String Fest since 2011. He helped us organize a classroom visit. So this is a monkey hand and this is a human hand. And, and what do you see? How would you describe that they're different? They have longer fingers and they're more stretched out. Exactly. So they have longer fingers. And then what about the thumb? Their thumb is smaller. Exactly. They have a smaller thumb. So what we're going to do first is we're going to play a piece of music just like normal. And then um, we're going to try, we're going to take the thumb that would make it more like a monkey thumb. And then we're going to try and play again. Okay, and we'll see how that sounds. All right, Miles, let's see how this goes. So last night in preparation for this, I watched Planet of the Apes. Actually, I'm going to have to wrap it. it around. Yeah. yeah, all those sweaty palms. Let's play, let's play Yankee Doodle. What? Yankee let's Doodle. do Yankee Doodle. And let's do it at a bit of a quicker okay. tempo. One, two, three, four. Okay, that still sounded pretty good. Um, <laughs> did it feel different? How did, Miles, how did it feel? You can't hold it as tightly, right? You don't have as good a grip on it. I know visually they can't see through the radio. Right. But the, for at least my for my experience, the, the problem is we can only use a fraction of the bow that's available to us. Okay. Um, you can't extend your arm too much at risk of dropping the bow, and you okay. can't play loudly. With the mobility of the thumb restricted by tape, they can't handle the bow as well, and this affects their ability to play. If you want to try a similar exercise at home, you can try taping your thumb to the side of your hand and tying your shoelaces or trying to write your name. So a chimp would not be able to play a violin very well, but they could pick it up and try. This has been confirmed by YouTube videos, of course.
yeah, humans are not unique in term in with regards to other primates. Primates, so we are primates, just like uh, apes and and other monkeys and lemurs and and what primates are known for is having grasping hands, and that's that's what allows us to to sort of manipulate um, manipulate objects uh, in in a better way than you imagine your cat or your dog, for example, and how they try to manipulate a bone or a toy. It's sort of, you know, just like glove, like, you know, having mittens on, essentially. So we we learned from Jurassic Park that that um, door handles are not raptor safe, but, but <laughs> doorknobs are. Um, so can you tell us, like, how that relates to primates? Would they be able to use door handles versus doorknobs? And, and, and also we can say, like, you know, in the planet of the apes, right? Yeah. We have these chimps firing machine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so could they do that? Um, do they have that anatomy to pull the trigger? And if, if this ever happens, would we be safe behind our door with a knob? Um, or, you know, what can we do <laughs> yeah. to prepare ourselves for that um, potential scenario? Primates are known for being highly sort of manipulative with their hands compared to other mammals. So humans are not unique in that in, in that general sense. So I would say in terms of um, door handles and door knobs, we would not be safe <laughs> from a scary primate uh, of any sort, that they would be able to open both of those things. Anatomically, yes, they would be more than capable of <laughs> firing a machine gun, whether or not they had the cognitive capacity to figure out how is a different question. I guess humans aren't that special after all, but some subtle differences are important. Humans are often thought, the ability that that humans have that is thought to be unique compared to other primates is this pad-to-pad precision grips and forceful precision grips. So that's moving the pad of your thumb towards the pads of your fingers and doing that with, with, with quite a bit of force. And it's thought that chimpanzees and gorillas and and most other primates aren't capable of doing that. When they need to pick up something quite small, they do it with a tip-to-tip grip or with the pad of their thumb towards the side of their finger. And that's mainly because their thumbs are just too short. (laughs) They just can't reach. We have an opposable thumb and other species don't. You have to qualify that. Like we have an opposable thumb and we can exert a tremendous amount of force and withstand a tremendous amount of stress. So for example, as I mentioned, chimpanzees do have these amazing manipulative abilities themselves and they can do things like use stone tools or, or create tools out of, out of sticks, um, but they are not able to really you know, create to make a stone tool. So, um, so Kanzi, the the bonobo, that a famous bonobo that was taught how to use how to use tools in captivity. Side note: Bonobos are chimps. He was able to do it, sort of, you know, knocking two stones together, and and occasionally a, a flake would would pop off, and that would be useful. Um, but he liked to just he found it more effective to just throw the rock <laughs> and you can drop a rock on the ground with enough force to create flakes. And, but it's sort of figuring out, well, that flake is useful for something that I can use that to cut um, through meat. I can use it to, to access 
you know, um, if I make this, you know, uh, this stone into a particular shape, I can then maybe access the marrow that I wasn't, you know, that I normally wouldn't be able to. And that requires a, a cognitive step um, that you, we don't see necessarily in, 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 in other primates. We might say that what makes us human is the intersection of anatomy and behavior. It's linking those two, linking the, the hand morphology and the brain together that um, would have gone hand in hand, excuse the pun. <laughs> this episode was produced by our team, Jenny Chi, Kate Warwanowitz, Jennifer Fish, and me, Ralph St. Louis. Michelle Warnerwitz makes our episode art. We'd like to thank Tracy Cavell, Aaron Williams-Hatala, and the Somerville String Camp for helping us with this episode. You can find more about their work on our blog, bonelabradio.org. We would also like to thank Fyodor Mercuri for his contribution on piano. Our blog, written by Ralph, has lots of additional information, including a photo comparing chimp and human hand skeletons and pictures of chimps using tools. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you can use your hands to subscribe, rate, and write a review online. We are also on social media. Until next time. My, my undergraduate advisor, oh, he still said like, that when he dies, I can have his arms and hands. And That's very generous. It is very <laughs> generous. I don't know how I'll broach that topic with his wife.